Today, I'll be taught God's Word, transforming every part of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to look at the book of Hebrews today, a new series that will start on Wednesday night, and when Chris asked me to speak this morning, I thought about what I could do, maybe a different message, and I thought, no, I'll just do the first lesson of Wednesday night, and that way we can just count all of you guys in attendance. You're a pastor. You shouldn't be trying to trick people. And I said, I'm not trying to trick people. I'm just moving Wednesday night up to Sunday morning. And then my daughter heard about it. She goes, Dad, that's trickery. It's like I'm surrounded by women who are not for my program here. They're always calling me into question. It's just like, and most of the men know this in the room, it's like when you get dressed to go somewhere and your wife says, you're not wearing that. And you go, no, I was trying this on before I got really dressed. So I put on one pair of jeans, and Lynette looked at me, and she goes, "Mm." put on a different pair, "Mm." put on a different pair. She said, which boots are you wearing? I said, well, uh, which boots do you think I should wear? These young people have no clue about how that's (laughs) going to work out. I'm the man. I'm in charge. You are the man. Hold that thought. Hebrews chapter 1. Verses 1 through 4 is a run-on sentence. Who's ever been corrected by an English teacher for writing a run-on? Look at that. Now that's confession right there. Marty and I were laughing between services. If it wasn't for our wives, we would have never got through school because neither one of us can spell. I used to say, Lynette, how do you spell this? Lynette, how do you spell that? And then after we'd been married for quite a while, she said, why don't you Google it? I'm like, I'm just used to asking you. In the past, chapter 1, verse 1, in the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven, so he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. Kind of an odd verse, but let me... Let me share a couple things with you. Let me give you a little bit of background just for the context of it. First of all, we don't know who the author was. This is the only book in the New Testament that we don't really know who the author is. I'm absolutely confident that the people that received it the first time, they knew who that was. They wouldn't have received it otherwise, but they received who the author was. They knew who it was, but we just don't know. Some people think it was Paul. If you read read books from years ago, they'll say Paul, and some might say Barnabas, and some might say Timothy or Luke, or even Priscilla. Now, wouldn't that be interesting? A woman writing a book of the New Testament. But it could be, but we just don't know. 
So we'll leave it at that. Now, God is the subject of the book. But the audience, we don't know exactly who they were either, but we do know three things about them. There were three groups of them. First of all, there were Jewish Christians. There were people who had come out of Judaism, accepted Christ, and were now in a dilemma. They were thinking about where they were right now, and they were thinking, we should probably go back to the way it was. What we're doing right now with this whole Christianity thing is not working. And then there were Gentile Christians. There were plenty of Gentile Christians that were in the mix who would have known the Scripture. And some of them, because of the persecution, because of the pain, because of the trouble going on, some of them were thinking, probably should go back to being Gentile Jews, followers of God, but Gentiles. And then there was another group in there who were just seekers. They were just unbelievers who would come because they realized in their life, it's not working. I need something. I need something else. It might be Jesus. So every time a congregation meets, even today, all over the world, any place, there are generally people who are Jewish in background. And there are generally people who are Gentiles. Most of us here are Gentiles. And then there are always scattered in there people who are just seeking. They just are trying to figure out. I used to be one of those people. Went to church, trying to figure it out. Though if you look at this passage, it's probably written around 67, 68, 69, right in the late 60s after Christ's death. The reason we know it's probably not Paul is because Paul would have been executed by this time. New evidence, new historical evidence shows that he would have been gone, so somebody else wrote it, but it's at that time, it's just before the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD, and at the destruction of Jerusalem, then everything just falls apart. They tear down the temple, there's massacre of Christians and Jews both. But before this, during this particular time, and just before this letter was written, there's enormous persecution. This would have been the time under Emperor Nero, the Roman emperor, who began to blame everything on Christians. And so Christians were being killed, they were being hauled out of their homes, they were being massacred in many cases, they were being fed the lions, they were being used as toys to play with and and killed. And so the whole idea is the pressure was getting hotter and hotter. It was getting more and more difficult to be identified as a Christian. And so some of the people were saying, you know what? Not worth it. You know what? This whole Christian thing isn't working for me. Maybe I should just go back to my old way of life. Maybe I should just go back and be a Jew. Maybe I should just go back and be whatever I was before because this isn't working. Surely God cannot be in this. And as the pressure heated up, as it was coming along, some of them had begun to come back. There might have been some there who really had never accepted Christ who were saying, it's time for me to get away from this, to get out of here. And so that's sort of the backdrop of it. And so the real, the heartbeat of the entire book of Hebrews is in one question. It's this. If Jesus is not enough, 
where are you going to go? See, I don't know, it's been 47 years. That's more than, that's longer than some of you have been alive. Not all of you. You notice we got an awesome worship band. You got the young guys and then the centurions. You know, the, <laughs> you got the, you got the old guys and the young guys. Well, if Jesus is not enough, where are you going to go? After 47 years of being a pastor, every time I come to church, doesn't matter if it's Wednesday night, Sunday night, connect events, I can't help but think that there's a lot of pain in this room. There's a lot of pain in this room. It might be a disease. It might be a disease like there is at our house where the disease just won't go away. You just can't get rid of it. It won't go away. It might be finances. No matter what you do, you just can't seem to get ahead. For some people, it might be school. It might be the struggle of getting through school. It might be relationships. You may have a broken relationship. You know, it's pretty common for people to think, well, I'm going to find that very, I'm going to find that right person. I'm going to find that one individual that's going to complete me. And then that one individual that's going to complete you ends up wrecking you. Can anyone say amen? It might be an addiction that just won't stop. It might be a disab disabling pain. Might be you have to get up in the morning and have, instead of a bowl of oatmeal, you have a bowl of ibuprofen just to get you moving in the morning because the pain just won't stop. It might even be a dream. Maybe you thought, hey, my life's going to turn out like this, and then you're traveling down that road, and you start to realize, you know what? I don't think it's going to turn out that way. Things aren't turning out the way that I thought they would, so it would be the death of a dream. I don't know what it is, but I know every time I come through the doors of the church, I always think there's a lot of pain in here. There's a lot of heartache. There's a lot of heartbreak in this room. There's, there's a lot of suffering that we don't even know about. But you know. You know what you're facing. If you're a grandparent, it may be not you. It may be the grandchildren. You know, genius skips a generation. I've told you that before. I have documentation of that. I have two children. I thought they were going to be geniuses, but no. But my grandchildren, I got three of those geniuses. The other two, dumb as a rock. Can't teach them nothing. So you may be hurting this morning because of someone else. Children or grandchildren. So the question really is, where are you going to go? If Jesus isn't enough, who is? What's the options? Who else are you going to go to? And that's what happens here. That's what happens here in the book of Hebrews. Let's take a look. We'll take it one piece at a time in the time that we have this morning. We'll just touch on a few of these things. First of all, verse 1, in the past, God spoke to our forefathers 
through the prophets and at many times and in various ways. God is not, and here's what the writer is saying, God is not silent. He has spoken. He's always spoken. He spoke the world into existence. When you go to Genesis 1.1, it says, in the beginning, God. And then it begins, the whole creation is that God spoke. Before the creation, the Spirit of God is hibernating. It says he was hovering over. But the real word in, it's a very ancient Hebrew, it means to, the same thing as a hen uh, setting on her chicks, it's incubating. So the Holy Spirit is incubating over the universe until the time when God speaks. And God speaks, things begin to change. When God speaks, things are created. He wasn't passive. He wasn't silent. He spoke. And from that moment until now, God has spoken. Who did he speak through? He spoke through our forefathers, the ancients. Not just the minor and major prophets in the Old Testament, but all of the people who, who were actors in the Old Covenant. So God said, I love you so much, and I know you can't do anything about your situation, so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to promise you that in the future, I'm going to solve this problem. I'm going to take care of this problem, the problem of your sin. And so he put in place a new agreement that would allow the priests to go into the temple or into the tabernacle before that and perform functions of sacrifices for sin. So they would go in and they would make sacrifices for our sins at various times of the year. And every year, the sins of all the people, all the humans that were alive, every year the sins of those people would be moved forward a year. So instead of punishing everyone for the sins of humanity, he would move them forward. And every year this would go on. One year after year. But there was a promise in that. And he said that one of these days, someone's going to come. There's going to be a Messiah. There's going to be one person who's going to come. And he's going to die once and for all for the sins of everyone. Past, present, future. And when he does that, it's going to be done. The whole agreement is going to change. So in the old covenant... We were looking forward to the day when this Messiah would come. But now, because we know he already has come, you and I look back in faith to the day that he died. That's why we celebrate communion. We look back. We remember back. So the writer of Hebrews, when he's going through, he says, God's the subject. God is active. He's not silent. He's already spoken. He put a covenant in place, verse 2. But in these last days, he spoke to us by his Son. Though in the past, he spoke in various ways, miracles, angels, dreams, visions. But now, he's spoken through his Son. That's why in John 1.1, he's called the Word of God. Let me go back to that real quick and just read in John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, the Logos. That was, was Jesus. It was God's spoken Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. So there in the beginning, before anything was created, Jesus was there as part of the Godhead. That would be the pre-carnate Christ. That's before he became a man. 
Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men, and the light shines in darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. And then he starts talking about John the Baptist. John the Baptist came and said, this light, this word is coming into the world, but I'm not him. I'm not the guy, but the guy's coming. And that was talking about Jesus. When he saw Jesus walking one day, he said, behold, the Lamb of God, slain from the foundation of the world. In other words, God's promise of a sacrifice that's going to take care of our sins is here. And so when he says, when the writer of Hebrews says, in the last days, sometimes people say, do you think we're living in the last days? Of course we are. The last days is a biblical term which means everything from the death of Christ to the second coming of Christ. Of course we're living in the last days. We're living in the last covenant. The covenant that we have with God now is not looking forward to a Messiah coming, but it's looking back to the finished work of the Messiah. Next verse. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. Let me stop right there just for a second. The idea of radiance. It's, the word is effligence. Can you say that out loud? Effligence. Come on, try it. Effligence. This is good. You want to impress a teacher? Just say, hey, you know, uh, the whole effligence thing really... She might slap you, but it means the exact representation. They would have understood this idea because they understood what it meant to have it. You know what a die is? Like a stamp, like you stamp out coins. So every time the stamp stamps out the coin, it's the exact replication of the other coin. And what he's saying here, what the writer is saying here, is that Jesus, this Jesus that is the Messiah who's come to die for the sins of the world, is the exact, absolute representation of his Father. Because here's another way of saying it. All that God is, Jesus is, and all that Jesus is, God is. There's no difference. You can't pull the Trinity apart. So there's the Father, exactly. The Son, exactly. The Holy Spirit, exactly. So the Father, God, is all God. Jesus is all God. The Holy Spirit is all God. You can't separate them out, even though functionality-wise, they're a little bit different. They do different things. So he says, the Son is the radiance of God, the exact stamp of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. So he not only was there and created the world, he's the one who sustains the world. He holds it together. Sometimes we miss that in Christianity. We don't realize that Jesus not only was there and spoke the world into existence, he's the one who created you, but he's also one who now holds it together. So if life falls apart, if there's a point in your life where everything comes crashing down and it looks like everything's going apart, you don't realize who's really in charge. If it's not Jesus, who is it? If God's not controlling it, who's controlling it? If you want to go back to something, where are you going back to? Who are you going to go back to? If he sustains all things. Sustaining in this context means all power, all authority, all people. All power, all authority, all people. All circumstances are his to control. So if the one who controls all the power, all the people, all of that 
where are you going to go? Everywhere you go, listen to me, everywhere you turn, it would be to something lesser. Every other person, every other follower, every other situation you're going to go back to is going to be lesser. Every other solution that you look for is going to be lesser. It doesn't mean it isn't helpful. It doesn't mean there aren't things out there that can help us. But if we go back to anything, it's going to be lesser than what we have in Jesus. But the question of the writer here is, do you really believe that? As a Christian, do you honestly believe that Christ is enough? He says, after he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Now, here's why that's important. Back in the old covenant, the priests would, were assigned duties, and they were on call. They did rotations. And when you're on call and you're a priest, you can never sit down. The entire time you're on duty, you have to keep moving. There's no breaks. There's no time to sit. There's no, you have to keep moving. You, everything has to be done over and over and over again. You have to keep going, keep going, keep going. And this was a representation of the fact that the work of God, the work of purification for sins, the work is not done yet. So they weren't allowed to sit down. They weren't allowed to do that because their work was never done. They had to keep offering sacrifices year after year after year to keep moving the punishment for sin forward. Otherwise, God would have just killed everybody. But here, what happens is after he, Jesus, made purification for sins, he just sat down. He sat down. And the reason is, it's done. There's nothing else to do. What are you going to add to it? He fulfilled all the requirements that the Father required. He, he fulfilled all the requirements for our sin. And when he got done, he sat down. And then when he sat down, here's the question. Do you believe? Do you believe? Are you going to believe that it's done? Now, I don't want to go into Dr. Chambers' psychology mode this morning, but here's some challenges. That, that, that This is why pain is in this room. It's because for some of us, we are not happy with that idea. We like to carry some sin around with us. You know, my old stuff. I mean, I, there's nothing wrong with getting forgiveness, but I'd like to hang on to some of those memories there. Or, you know, I've been hurt by people. People will hurt you. Pastor Chris always says this better than anyone I've ever heard. Hurting people hurt people. And so if you've been hurt, if you've been abused, if you've been disappointed, if you've been lied to, all of that, it's one thing to say, well, you know, Jesus has forgiven me for my sins, but you know, this one situation keeps coming up. No. No. He either sat down and finished it, or he didn't. Now it's up to you. Do you believe? Or you want to go somewhere else? You want to go looking for answers from somewhere else. Let me, I'm going to talk to the young people this morning. I don't ever get to, they don't ever let me come down and talk to you guys. It's dangerous when old people get out. They could just drop over dead right now and then you'd be responsible. <laughs> but let me, let me talk to you guys for just a second. The people behind you, don't look back. Don't look back. 
the people behind you have made some stupid mistakes. Don't say any, don't move your head. Your parents are watching. Stupid stuff. They've tried stupid stuff. They've done stupid stuff. Some of them have done better than others. There's some of them who haven't been so much in a mess. And then there's some of them are just a wreck. And if anything else, you should say, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to try that because other people have tried it and it wrecked their life. It's not cool. It's not cool to have a wrecked life. It's not cool to have your brain burned up on drugs or alcohol. It's not cool just because other people think it's cool. It's not. And if you don't believe me, after service, stand out in the lobby and ask some of these people, was that a good move? Was that a wise decision? And you know what? They're going to say, no, that was stupid. That's what that was. That was just stupid. So what I'm saying to you, don't do it. Because I'll tell you why. Christ is a better way. Some of us had wrecked our lives. You don't have to. You don't have to. Because I'm telling you, he's enough. He's enough. So the writer says, he goes on from verse 4 to the end of the chapter. And what he's going to make an argument for here is if Christ is not enough... What is, and then he's going to say, you know what, let's just talk angels. If you want to talk angels, you want to talk Old Testament, let me talk Old Testament. He says, for to which of the angels did God ever say this? You are my son, today I have become your father. Well, to none of them. Angels are magnificent creatures, by the way. Powerful, magnificent. But I'm just going to read this in closing. So, the question is, where will you go? You're going to go back to another way of life. You're going to go back to your old way of life. Where are you going to go? Everywhere you go, everything you do is going to be inferior to what you would receive in Christ. Some people think there were, the Jews at this point had gone into angel worship. I'm not so sure about that. I think that Angels are such a part of that delivery system of God on the, in the Old Covenant. The angels were so engaged in that. When Moses went on, up on the mountain to receive the covenant, basically the, the original covenant with God, there were angels there administering that, administering that uh, covenant. You can just look through the whole Old Testament. It's just angels, 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 angels. They're so much a part of it. So I can imagine somebody that's trying to convince a Jewish Christian or a Gentile Christian to go back to their old way of life, he would say, well, you know, Jesus is just a guy who came. He was like a prophet of God, but he certainly wouldn't have been above the angels. So he addresses it here, and I'm just going to read it, and I'll add a couple points before we stop. For to which of the angels did God ever say? It's a rhetorical question. You are my son. Today I've become your father. That's a quote from Psalm 2.7. It's quoted at Jesus' transfiguration and as baptism other places. Or again, I will be his father. To which angel did he say, I'm going to be your father? And he will be my son. That's a reference to Samuel. 
chapter 7, where David's talking about Solomon becoming his son and, and that he would rule the nation with righteousness. But it's really a foreshadowing of when Jesus comes to rule the nation, the righteous king. And again, when God brings his firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. The angels, the angels are there to worship him, not the other way around. Let all God's angels worship him. Verse 7, in speaking of the angels, he says, he makes his angels spirits and his servants flames of fire. But about the Son, he says, your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. A scepter of justice will be the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. He also says, in the beginning, Lord, you laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands, talking about Jesus. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will roll them up like a robe. Like a garment, they will be changed, but you remain the same, and your years will never end. To which, the, to which of the angels did God say, set at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? So angels are powerful creatures. They're magnificent. They have power. They have authority. But they don't even compare. They're there to serve Jesus. And so the writer simply back to the question that we started with. Yeah, angels are powerful. Angels can do stuff. They're magnificent. They're amazing creatures. But they're not Jesus. Which of the angels did God say, you're my son? Which of the angels? See, he sent the angels to be ministering spirits, to be a help. Now, every time you see a picture of heaven in the Bible, it's got angels worshiping. When you get to Revelations, you've got angels worshiping the Son of God. See, it brings us back to that question. Yeah, I mean, you can, once you become a Christian, you can decide what you want to do with yourself. But when the pain comes, when the heartache comes, being a Christian does not insulate us from stuff. We say amen? Listen, I'm not suggesting this, but if you go out on the highway this morning and you drive like Wes and you go over 45, you might get a ticket. Because they changed the speed limit. I don't know what it used to be out there. 65, 55. Just because you're a Christian, don't tell the officer, hey, I go to Highland Assembly. Can I get a break? They might write you up for double. The pastor we worked with in Atlanta, we had two big churches. You had to drive between the two. And I always did the 8 o'clock service, so I had time to get to the other church 20 minutes away. One day he got stopped by the highway patrol going 90 miles an hour in his little car. Well, the police officer was real tall, and he was real tall, and he was in this little uh, small sports car, and the guy couldn't see him, couldn't see his face. And 
he pulled him over on I-70, and he was giving him the business, really just yelling at him, really. And he didn't realize that it was, it was uh, Dr. Walker. And, he's, and this highway patrolman went to our church. He was a member of our church. And he said, you know what you need? You need to find yourself a good church to go to. And I'm going to write you up a double ticket, a double portion. And he really whammed him. And I said, well, did you tell him who you were? And he said, oh, Lord, no. I just took the ticket and said, thank you very much. Stuff happens as a Christian. But the question is, where are we going to go? Where are you going? Who are you going to turn to if you don't turn to Jesus? Let's stand together as we go to the Lord in prayer this morning. The real heartbeat, the real heartbeat of the book of Hebrews is everywhere else you go, it's inferior. You have what you need right now. The question is not finding somewhere else to go or someone else to follow. The question is, do you really believe it down in your heart of hearts? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we admit this morning It's not always easy to believe that Jesus is enough. We've heard it said. We've heard it preached and taught, and we know it. But when disease happens, when we lose a job, when we lose a friend, when we're disappointed, when things don't turn out the way we think they should, when we wake up one day and find ourselves surrounded by trouble, do we really believe it? It's at that pressure point, it's at that point where we really have to dig deep. Say, Lord, I I trust you. I trust you. I know my circumstances don't look great, but I have to trust you. You're all I've got. You're all I need. We thank you, Father. Help us work our way through that. Help us to deepen our walk with you and learn to trust you regardless of the circumstance. And we ask it in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. God bless you. Thanks for coming today. Enjoy yourself and shake somebody's hand on your way out. No hugging. No hugging. Thank you, sir. Turn the mic off. We had to.